So the scripture reading today will be taken from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. May God help us to hear his word. Speak to God. Thanks, Cheryl, for reading God's word for us this morning. And good morning, beloved in Christ. Morning. You know, my heart is encouraged to see many of us gathered in person as we assemble as church this morning. And to those of us who are viewing online, I'm glad you can join us this morning as well. And to our friends who are visiting with us, I know we have some friends from the United States who will come as well. Um, I'm Oliver. I want a pastor serving with the elders team here at Grace Baptist Church. I warmly welcome all of you to this uh, worship service. And I do hope that for the next hour or two, your hearts can find rest in God. You know, we are in the season of Advent, as uh, Brother Bay just told us, uh, reminded us this just now. And according to the Christian calendar, Advent is the four-week period before Christmas that celebrates the anticipation and coming of Jesus Christ our Saviour. The origin of Advent is from a Latin word which translates into our English as coming 
or arrival. This period is for the church preparation and celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ, His birth at Christmas. This time is also for us to cultivate our anticipation of Jesus returning. As part of this Advent season, we'll be preaching from selected passages from John chapter 1 to John chapter 3, the theme being glory has come. And in our sermons before, in our run out to Christmas, we will talk about Jesus as the eternal Word of God made flesh. Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. He shows us God's glory. Therefore, the only way to know God is to know by knowing His Son who gives life to sinners, to save sinners. By believing in Jesus Christ, we will receive eternal life. I ask that we, as we prepare to hear God's Word, let's come before Him together in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, open our eyes to see the wonderful things in Your Word. May Your Holy Spirit enlighten our hearts and minds, teach us Your truth, and cause the affections in our hearts to arise as we see Jesus Christ more clearly. Please help us to receive and follow Jesus and to walk in Your ways so that we will increasingly reflect You and Your glory. Do this for the renown and fame of Your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How? Can we know God? And what is our response to Him when we know Him? You know, I have friends who said to me, Oli, I will trust in God if God somehow show Himself to me. Their main objection, how can I know God if I cannot see nor experience Him? For Christians, we know that God is spirit and cannot be seen by our physical eye. And when we struggle and we feel alone, we ask ourselves, how can we know God? How can we know God is there for me? How can we know God? And what is our response to Him once we know Him? And today in our first Advent message, we will hear from the Apostle John as we look at the first 18 verses in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is one of four Gospels accounts eyewitnesses' accounts to Jesus Christ. They tell us who Jesus is, tells us what Jesus, teach, uh, what Jesus teaches and does. However, the Gospel of John is written much later than the other three Gospels. And, what it does, and it, it, within this Gospel of John, it contains not only the bi- biographical account of Jesus, but the Apostle John, by now an older man, he had time to reflect on Jesus Christ So it contains also the rich theological reflection on Jesus Christ of the Apostle John. He had time to think on the significance of Jesus Christ, His person, His teaching, and His work. And it comes out in in this Gospel. So what better way for us as we enter this Advent season to look at this Gospel, which is so rich in reflection on Jesus Christ. So if you have Bibles, Please turn with me to John chapter 1. And the outline for today's message is on the screen before you. It's basically in three sections. And we will look at the Word in the beginning. We will look at whoever believes in the Word becomes a child of God. 
And lastly, we end with the word dwelt among us and made God known. You know, I was uh, preparing for uh, this sermon and, and you know, sometimes when you are on the web, they will uh, post, uh, push advertisements to you and I got a number that talks about DNA testing. And, and DNA testing has become more accessible in the recent years and as a result, people in the last few years have turned to DNA testing using DNA kits to, deliver, uh, to discover their medical health as well as their past ancestry. So, so one web- website claims that if you know your past origins, this can provide you a sense of your identity. As we look at the Gospel of John, other Gospels starts with the proclamation of John the Baptist or even the birth of Jesus Christ. But Apostle John here begins in the distant past, before the beginning of time, and tells us about Jesus Christ and Jesus' identity. The first verse of this passage explodes with a startling claim. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. My friends, don't let uh, the Bible become too familiar uh, to us. Look at this, such a startling, wondrous claim at the very start of this passage. In the beginning was the Word. It echoes the opening words of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1. As God was in the beginning before the world's creation, so too was the Word. And the second part, the Word was with God. It means that the Word was with God in the very beginning. But the way this this phrase could be translated, it could also mean that the word was face toward God, implying that this word, this personal word, was in an intimate relationship with God. And the last part of this verse tells us that this word was God. And as this prologue to the Gospel of John unfolds, it becomes clear to us that Jesus is this word. He is the word incarnate, one in essence with God. So when Apostle Paul says that the Word was God, what he was saying was this, what God was, the Word also was. And towards the end of the Gospel of John, the Apostle John reinforces the truth of Jesus as God when he speaks of how one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, addressed Jesus as my Lord and my God. Right? In John chapter 20, verse 28. So the Word was God. And these two key ideas stated separately in the first verse is brought together in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So what he's trying to tell us here that the Word was in an intimate relationship with God. He was in that relationship from the very beginning. We need to understand the context in which the Apostle John writes this. John writes that this word is personal and relational. He writes this over and against the prevailing Greek Stoics, so Greek philosophers' concept of this impersonal logos or rational principle in the first century. So so over and against what was seen to be impersonal, the Apostle John says that this word, this logos, is personal and relational. 
And we see also uh, the use of uh, the word, God's word, as seen in the Old Testament. It talks about God's powerful self-revelation in creation, in how He reveals Himself to His people, as well as in salvation. And the Apostle John then takes this and applies this personification of the word in the Old Testament to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the eternal word in person. Apostle John then goes on to explain the work of the word in the beginning. Verse 3, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Remember, Genesis 1 tells us how God brought the universe into being by His creative word. And the Apostle John then draws on this thread when he says that God brought all things into being through or by means of the person of the word. Or as he prays it negatively, God brought nothing into being without the agency of the Word. And this is uh, something that Paul himself, Apostle Paul, echoes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. The Apostle John continues in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. Because the Word shares in deity, shares in Godhood, He shares in the life of God. John 5.26 tells us, for as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. What does it mean when the Apostle John says this, that the life was the light of men? The Apostle John does not clarify how this divine life in the Word illuminated human beings. Uh, so some teachers and Bible scholars have suggested that this relates to our creation, human beings' creation in the image of God, so that we too participate in the light of reason in a way lesser created beings do not. Others suggest that this refers to the light of general revelation, uh, whereby the character of God is revealed in creation itself. And in that way, human beings can understand something of God. I think Apostle John concludes the first paragraph with, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, my friends, you need to understand the richness here. John again is drawing on the Genesis creation account in which darkness covers the face of the earth. And when God said, let there be light, verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1. And we, in that way, when he declared, let there be light, the darkness gave way to the light. But this verse can also be an uh, illusion, an echo of the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And this is what uh, the prophet Isaiah says in, in this very passage. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Apostle John speaks of the coming of the light of God into the world in the person of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. 
through Jesus, light has shone among the Jewish people. He entered into their darkness and our darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is, despite the repeated attempts of Jesus' uh, Jewish opponents to oppose him, in effect, they wanted to extinguish the light, but all failed. The light shines brightly, undaunted in the darkness. What does this mean for us? We need to learn to cultivate wonder. You know, sometimes in our Bible reading, some of these verses have become so familiar to us. So my friends, as we prepare ourselves in this Advent season for Christmas, as we go through the Gospel of John, these first few verses of John's Gospel should strike you with wonder as it likely did for the early readers. Imagine this. Jesus is proclaimed as the eternal Word and He was God and He was in relationship with God before time and creation begins. It is through Jesus that God made all creation. So do not let the Bible become so familiar that it doesn't leave you awestruck. Let your Bible reading this Advent grow your wonder as we think on Jesus Christ. The other thing that this few verses tells us is, is this. We are accountable to God because He is God who created us. God is God and He has rulership rights over us. God as King has rulership right over us. God is also our Creator and He has ownership rights over us. This means that we will be held accountable for our response to Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And as we continue in this passage, in the second section of this 18 verses, we'll see that the Apostle John calls for our response. So my friends, as we hear God's words today, as we look at the second section, please take that call seriously. You know, my friends, I was just talking to some of the elders uh, in our last meeting. We're actually two years into this COVID-19 pandemic. And one of the impacts of this social distancing is that the impact it has on our relationships. I don't know about you, I, I do struggle to maintain my friendships. But sometimes it's difficult to connect with one another virtually. Uh, most of us are wired for in-person relational kind of contact, so we struggle. Uh, and some of us uh, experience loneliness as our relationship ties are also diminished. The Apostle John in the section speaks of the gift of the ultimate relationship, of being given the right to become a child of God, enjoying the father-child relationship with God. That's what he introduced in this section. But before he does that, he introduces us to John the Baptist, who is the witness to the Word. Verse 6 tells us, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Though it was not mentioned, this is John the Baptist, right? This is not the Apostle John, this is John the Baptist. And the Apostle John describes John the Baptist as a man sent from God, naming him as prophet. This is John uh, the Baptist whom the Jewish crowd regards, regarded as a prophet. And this is how Jesus himself described him. And, and verse 7 tells us what John the Baptist came to do. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So very clearly stated her, John's role was to witness to the light that has come into the world through the Word incarnate Jesus Christ. And unlike other Gospels, which talk about John's message of repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins, the emphasis here is on John's role as a witness. And what's the purpose of John's witness? We see that in the later part. It was that all might believe through him, meaning believe in Jesus as the promised, long-awaited Messiah. And after saying that John came as a witness to the light, the Apostle John adds in verse 8, He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. You know, as we read this, why did Apostle John feel it necessary to add this statement? You know, the Gospel repeatedly uh, portrays John the Baptist positively as a faithful witness to Christ. But emphasis by John, the Apostle John was this, that John the Baptist was a witness and not the Christ. The Apostle John did not want his readers to misunderstand this point. And, and why did he mention so many times John the Baptist? The main reason for including so many references to John was that he may add the strength of John the Baptist's witness concerning Jesus Christ to the many eyewitnesses of Jesus. And then Apostle John continues in verse 9 telling us that the true light has indeed come into our world. The true light, in verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, the genuine real light, was coming into the world. The word, not John, was the true light. And the following verses, in verses 10 to 13, speaks about the reception of the true light as it came into this world. And we must wait till uh, verse 14 to find that out. But what the Apostle John says here is that the true light gives light to everyone. And as the Gospel unfolds, we find that the Word incarnate in Jesus is the light of the world. That through Jesus' person, teaching and works, He brought the light to bear upon those He came in contact with. However, Though Jesus brought light into the world, it was not welcomed by many who witnessed it. This is where the Apostle John continues in verses 10 to 11. Looking back on when the Word came into the world, the Apostle John says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. As we read before, as we heard before, the Word was God's agent in creation. So it might be said that the world was made through Him. But note the great irony here. The Word came into the world that He made, yet the people of the, word, of the, people of the world did not know Him. And this tragedy, this tragic irony, is deepened in verse 11. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. The word Jesus Christ came into the world, created through Him, and it was His by ownership, it was His property, yet His people, the Jewish people, mostly did not receive Him. And we find 
that throughout the Gospel of John, that this rejecting of the Word, this rejecting of Jesus, this is a recurring theme in the Gospel of John. You know, as we look at this uh, 18 verses, as we slowly make our way through, this 18 verses has what we call a chiastic structure. Or what it is, is it's just a literary device used by biblical writers, which kind of points to the centre. And verses 12 and 13 stands at the centre of this structure. And therefore, is the most crucial, important part of these few verses. And this is given the most emphasis by the author. And what does verses 12 and 13 say? But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, not of blood, nor of the flesh, of the, of, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So my friends, if, if you struggle to remember the entire sermon, pay attention to these two verses. Because these two verses not only captures the essence of these 18 verses, but it captures the purpose of this gospel as a whole. Those who encounter the Word or Jesus Christ through this gospel might believe in Him and become children of God, enjoying eternal life. And the Apostle John states this purpose near the end of this book in John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Now turning his attention from those who did not receive the word to those who did, the Apostle John tells us, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Those who receive Jesus, this will include many Jews and also Gentiles. But what does it mean to receive Him? To receive Him means to believe in His name. And to believe in someone's name is to believe in the person, His person, His words, His works. Because the, His name stands for that person Himself. And what does receiving Him mean? Receiving Him means it involves accepting the teaching and revelation of God that Jesus brought. And this gospel repeatedly speaks about those who receive or do not receive Jesus' testimony. To those who receive Jesus Christ, He gave, he gave them the right to become children of God. Jesus, the Word, gives the right to those who trust Him to become children of God. Jesus, the Word, gives the right to you and I who believe in Him to become a child of God. Jesus Christ will bring us into a relationship with God the Father. My friends, imagine this. We go from being sinners deserving of God's wrath to being children beloved by God, receiving His gracious blessings. And verse 13 tells us that those who believe are those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. A person has to be born to be a child of God. But his birth is not through natural means or natural descent. 
there is not true natural reproduction and birth uh, that a person becomes a child of God. And, and this thought is reinforced by the words that follow. The words that follow denies that children of God are born of human decision. The Apostle John says that those who become children of God are born of God. What does this mean? It means that God Himself acts to give us this new birth. It means that when we trust in Jesus Christ, this Holy Spirit indwells us, making us a new creation in Jesus Christ. And this is the new birth that the Apostle John talks about in John 3, in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. My friends, as I started the, the first section, uh, if the Word creates us and is God, we are accountable to Jesus Christ. So these verses here calls then for our decision and our commitment. Would you receive or reject Jesus Christ? Do you open your hearts to trust the incarnate Word or will you oppose the promised Lord and Saviour? My non-Christian friends, I want to speak directly to you at this point. I urge you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. The Apostle John writes in John 3.16, a summary of the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. My friends, we are accountable for our decision. So I plead with you to acknowledge that you are a desperate sinner in need of a saviour. Believe and place your trust in Jesus Christ and His promise of eternal life. And confess and commit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and saviour. Now, if this is your desire, please feel free to reach out to any of your Christian friends. Or if you're here, brought by your friend here this morning, please reach out to them. You can also feel free to reach out to any of the pastors and elders. Our contact details are on our website. But what does it mean for us as Christians, as believers? The new birth is a work of God. Just as creation, God speaks creation into being, so the new birth is God speaking our new birth into being. It's a work of God. New life is a grace gift. Knowing this should cultivate our gratitude and thanksgiving to Jesus Christ. And it's this gratitude that should empower our obedience, our obedience of faith to Jesus Christ as we seek to live out the truths that are revealed by the Word of God. You know, I have a fascination with uh, the history of Japan. And as much as like, I like to read the original historical records, I cannot read or understand Japanese. So what happens is that I actually need writers who can read and understand Japanese to interpret and explain the records to me. And this is similar to what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate, explains God for us. To see Jesus Christ is to see God. The Apostle John tells us how God reveals Himself through the Word, Jesus Christ. And this Word comes into the world. And the Word become, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Verse 14 explains how the Word came into the world. The Word became flesh. As one Bible commentator explains, the Word became does not mean change into, in the sense that Jesus, uh, by becoming human, ceased to be God. Nor does it mean appeared human, or even solely took on humanity. The main point is that God now has chosen to be with His people in a more personal way, more than ever. The Word, by taking on flesh, did not cease to be the Word, but He changed His mode of being the Word in the Incarnation. The Word took on humanity and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means pitch a tent or encamped. This is allusion to the time where God's presence was localized in the tabernacle amid the camp of Israel. Verse 14 tells us that the word became flesh and living among us is like God encamping among the tribes of, of Israel. Jesus Christ is God's dwelling among us. And as a consequence, because He came now in, in, in the flesh, in person, we have seen His glory. The reference to glory is also an allusion to God's presence in the tabernacle. As the glory of God was once present in the tabernacle, so now it was present in Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Moreover, the Apostle John included himself among the eyewitnesses and tells us that we have seen His glory. And then goes on to describe some aspects of the glory which he saw. Firstly, it was the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Apostle John stresses the uniqueness of the Word who came from the Father and was the only one who could make the Father known. Secondly, the glory that eyewitnesses saw was full of grace and truth. You know, this expression, grace and truth, likely translates a similar expression, kindness and faithfulness in the Greek, which in turn was a translation of the Hebrew expression where we get steadfast love and faithfulness. This should sound familiar to us because this very expression is used to describe God in Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7, where God made His glory known to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness constituted God's glory proclaimed to Moses is now found in the word incarnate. What was declared to Moses by the Lord as he passed by has now been seen, embodied in the incarnate word. And central to the glory of God revealed in the incarnate word is also his grace, his favour towards people and his loving action for providing for their need. Most, most importantly, in, in effecting salvation for, for them. His grace is seen in his laying down of his life for his people, for us, in giving us eternal life and in sending to us the Holy Spirit. Truth has its root meaning of reliability. God is reliable both in His words and actions. God can be depended to keep His promises and His words are always true. The Word is reliable and truthful. Jesus speaks the truth 
testifies to the truth and embodies the truth about God and God's plan for salvation. And then verse 15 continues, again calling back to the testimony of John the Baptist. We really see in verse 6 to 8 that the Apostle John tells us that John the Baptist was sent from God to witness to the light. Though he reminded us that John himself was not the light. Verse 15 goes on to explain the content of John's testimony. We see that John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Think about this. Even though John the Baptist was born before Jesus and his ministry preceded that of Jesus, John the Baptist emphasized that he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. What John the Baptist is saying is this, that Jesus surpassed him because he was always greater than him. John the Baptist, in this context, probably spoke better than he knew because Jesus is the eternal word that existed in eternity past. And as God ranks far beyond John the Baptist. Finally, as we end with uh, conclude the last three verses, uh, the Apostle John tells us that Jesus um, Christ explains God. It speaks of the Word being at the Father's side and making Him known. You know, verse 14 talks about seeing the glory of the incarnate Word, a glory that was full of grace and truth. But verse 16 talks about not just seeing the fullness, but about receiving it. Verse 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The weakness to Jesus, the we, us included, as we read and hear this scripture, experience grace in place of grace already given. The grace that came through Jesus Christ replaced that which was already given. What was already given? Verse 17 explains, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The grace that was replaced was the law given by God to Israel through Moses. The law is still a gracious gift by God because the giving of the law reveals God's character as well as God's instruction for godly living. And what would replace it is the grace and truth that came through the Word incarnate. But what exactly was this grace that these people experienced of which they bore witness? Reading from the rest of John's Gospel, we find that the, the witnesses, they saw the miracles that Jesus performed. You know, His disciples, as they hear this, you know, they can, probably can recall that they drank and tasted of the wine that Jesus provided at the wedding feast in Cana. They probably ate some of the food that Jesus miraculously provided for the hungry crowds. However, ultimately, they received His grace as they saw the Father revealed in the Son. When Jesus laid down His life for them, when they, and they experienced this eternal life that Jesus talks about, which He gives to all who believe. And when they saw that the ascended Lord fulfilled his promise to send them the Holy Spirit to be with them forever. And finally, after keeping us in suspense for the first 16 verses, verse 17, we finally reveals who this word that the Apostle John is speaking about. 
The Word incarnate is Jesus Christ. The grace and truth that comes through Jesus Christ far surpassed the blessing of the law that given through Moses. And one of these surpassing features was the unparalleled revelation of the Father which Jesus brought. Verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. No, no one has ever seen God. It reinforces the fact that Jesus is the unique revelation from God the Father. Jesus alone has made God known. No one can see God unless God chooses to reveal Himself. And God has revealed Himself most clearly in Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God who is in this close, intimate relationship with Father God. The Word, the Word incarnate Jesus, being the one and only Son who is Himself God, who is in the closest personal relationship with the Father, is the only one who has seen God and made Him known. This Jesus did. Jesus made God known through Jesus' person, words, and works. Jesus exegetes or Jesus explains God clearly to us. You know, we started off with this question, how can we know God? And Apostle John tells us, if you want to know God, look to Jesus. And we can know Jesus best when we read, study, reflect, and understand Jesus' words, the Bible. That's why my friends, my church, uh, GBC, I encourage us as we enter this Advent season, one of the ways that we can continue to uh, know God, continue to see Jesus Christ, is to pick some good Advent devotions and to reflect on the person, work, and teaching of Jesus Christ. Or you can simply track along with our sermons as we cover the first three chapters of the uh, Gospel of John. You can read and reflect on the Bible passage beforehand, um, the, the, the passage to be preached that weekend, and then you hear the sermon with a journal and pen in hand. Write down your thoughts, reflections, spend the week after to think on what was said and to ponder how the passage points to Jesus Christ. And then practice the grace that God has given us through uh, being church together. Meet up with one another, talk to one another about what you read and noted, and pray God's truth into one another as we seek together to catch a clearer sight of God in Jesus Christ. And by doing so, we can behold the glory of the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ. My friends, as we end this time together, ask yourself these questions. In Jesus Christ, we meet God. How am I looking to Jesus Christ this Advent season? Ask yourself the second question. In what ways am I responding to the true light, Jesus Christ? Rejecting or receiving? With complacency or with joyous commitment? And in closing, um, Seminary professors James Hamilton and, and Brian Vickers beautifully write this couple of uh, sentences. Behold the glory of Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, word before all worlds, light that gives life, the 
the fullness of grace and truth, Son revealing the Father, to whom be glory forever. And everyone says, Amen.